Chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians is a continuation, really, of chapter 4. And so I'd like to start tonight by reading the last few verses of chapter 4, just to give us a reminder of where Paul has been with regard to his uh, sharing with the Corinthian church, with us, regarding uh, our life in Christ. And, of course, we have, according to what Jesus said, and it's obviously true, uh, regardless of how we may feel from time to time, he has promised us abundant life. And that applies not only for the life that is eternal, but also in this present life in which we now are pilgrims journeying through this place that we call home. Uh, it is a temporary home. And we have to come to that realization that this home that is temporary is uh, not really as beautiful as we might like it to be, but it is a life still because we're filled with God's Spirit and He guides us and directs us and, and helps us in all that we do and provides for our every need. We do have indeed abundant life and we can experience the joy of the Spirit that is promised to us, a joy that's unspeakable joy and full of glory, as Peter puts it. And it's something that we should all be very, very much in tune with. And that does not mean that we're always going to be happy, but we have that inner sense of joy that comes from knowing that we belong to him. We have been given a promise by the Lord that he will carry us through this. And Paul reminds us that there are going to be times when we may end up having a lot of sorrow, a lot of trouble, a lot of disappointments, a lot of disillusionments. And we may even have times when we're hard-pressed on every side as Paul was, crushed but not forsaken. We're not in despair, even though we might have perplexing situations that we have to deal with. This life can be very difficult. And if we continue to see the things that have been going on around the world and, you know, with our own church family, we're having some difficulties in some of cases with with sickness and we're having some sad news. Uh, we just lost a dear friend of ours uh, who is now down in uh, the southern part of the country, but uh, she and her sister were dear friends of us uh, here at Safe Harbor Church and they moved several years ago, but now that Deb has passed on, it's, it's uh, very likely that Lee will be moving back to Maine. That's their uh, her goal, her hope. So there are clouds in the skies for a lot of people, but there are silver linings in those clouds. Uh, each day is a new day, and God promises us new mercies every morning. And that's the thing that we can rely on, the truth of God's Word. And that's why we're going to look tonight at some of these things that Paul says with regard to this life and also with regard to the life that is to come. Paul had said elsewhere that he supposed that the sufferings of this present hour are nothing to be compared to that which we will uh, see when we get to heaven, that glory that will be known by us all. But there's a, re, uh, a, a, a process that's involved, uh, the redemption process that allows for us to day by day be more and more like him. That's a sanctification process. And as we are being sanctified by his spirit, each day we live. We're getting closer to that place where we will be like him in glorified bodies. And that will come when we leave this world, either through by death or through the rapture. One way or the other, we will be in the Lord's presence. 
And that's what Paul is going to, be, again, be talking about here in the first part of chapter 5. So I'd like to, again, begin with uh, a portion of Scripture in chapter 4 that ended that great chapter with these words of Paul, starting with verse 16 of chapter 4, where he says, Therefore we do not lose heart. Again, that was the second time in that chapter that he said, we do not lose heart. And he gave the reason for that. We don't lose heart because we have received God's mercy. And here in verse 16, we don't lose heart even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inner man is being renewed day by day. That's the promise that Paul is reiterating here in this passage that we're about to be looking at tonight. The fact that we have a body that is growing old and that aging process is not without difficulty. Obviously, you all are well aware of that. Those people who might be a lot younger than the, those of us who are here tonight in this Zoom meeting uh, may think that, well, my body's fine, I'm doing well, I'm physically strong, I'm healthy, I'm not experiencing any issues, I'm just fine in this body. What do you mean our outward man is perishing? Well, it is. Uh, maybe a slower process for some of you than others, but it is a fact that this body will indeed, as it ages, grow weaker. Ecclesiastes gives us a great deal of information about the uh, the body as it ages, and uh, I'm reminded when I read that that you know Solomon was pretty accurate in his description. The eyes are getting weaker, the ears aren't hearing as well. The knees are not as strong. The shoulders aren't as strong as they once were. Things are indeed breaking down, and that's just a fact of life. So Paul is saying again, the outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Every day we're getting closer to that time when we will be with the Lord Jesus and see him face to face, and we will, according to Paul in Philippians chapter 3, we will be changed from these vile bodies into a glorious body like unto his glorious body. We'll be looking at that again in a little bit of time as we proceed with the study tonight. Verse 17 of chapter 4 says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. What a great promise this is. Our light affliction. Now, I don't know if Paul said that tongue-in-cheek, but if you take a look at the, some of the things that Paul had to endure you wouldn't at all consider those things to be light affliction. But Paul is looking in a comparative way with regard to that light affliction as it pertains to the glorious uh, life that we will have in the Lord's presence throughout eternity. An eternal weight of glory, he puts it. Beautifully said. And it's exceeding, exceeding eternal weight of glory. Then in verse 18 of that, uh, chapter, he says, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. It's a wonderful thing that Paul is saying here. You know, when we have to go through difficult situations, if we keep our eyes on the situation, sometimes we feel like we're under the circumstances, unable to cope. But Paul doesn't want us to be left under the circumstances. In fact, Jesus wants us to be above the circumstances. And he provides the Spirit of God to enable us to do that. And when we're above the circumstances, we're not impacted by those things because we're not 
focusing on them. We don't focus on the things that are troubling, that are, that are going on in the world around us. If we do, we'll be living in despair. And you can take a look at all of the various things that are going on in the world today, whether it's wars, uh, in the one in Ukraine or, or elsewhere, uh, earthquakes in diverse places. You realize that over the last 72 hours, there have been over 150 earthquakes and uh, aftershocks that have occurred in Turkey and Syria. Their count now is over 20,000 dead and untold numbers of people missing. It's a tragedy, and it's not the worst tragedy ever, but it is a very major, major tragedy in that area of the world. And uh, a lot of those things are taking place not only in Turkey and, and Syria, but other places. We uh, took note of a, a tremor in New York, a couple of tremors in Israel, tremors in uh, the, Phil the uh, Philippines. Um, all over the world, there are places where things are happening uh, like this, and it's very, very troubling to people who do not know the Lord. But for us, we have the assurance of something far better, and we do have the fact that these things are indeed temporary, and these Problems that we all have been observing are not going to last forever. There's coming a day when we will depart. And that's the good news that we have that Paul wants to present to us. Now, for us, and I didn't mention it last time, uh, but I do want to mention it this time, you know, death is something that is going to be the case for everybody because it is appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment, the Bible tells us. But there is one exception of that, and of course you all know that as the rapture of the church. And the rapture will take place sometime in our future, I hope very soon. Perhaps we'll be alive when God comes for his church and calls his church to be with him in the air, as it's recorded in First Thessalonians chapter 4. But if we should pass on from this world before that happens, we'll be still with him. One way or the other, either through death or through the rapture, we will be with the Lord. And that's, again, what we're going to be looking at tonight. Chapter 5 begins by saying this. Verse 1 of chapter 5 says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. That is a remarkable statement that Paul says. Take note of the fact that he says, we know this. It is something that is an intuitive knowledge. It is known because it has been revealed to us by the Spirit of God. We know that we know. And that's something that the world perhaps cannot understand. Why would a Christian embrace death? Well, the only reason that any one of us would ever embrace death is because we know that death is just a doorway into something far greater than what we're experiencing. That's why Paul says that we're here in these mortal bodies, and these mortal bodies are like a tent, Paul tells us. Yes, it's our, it's our home. Our soul dwells in this flesh. This flesh is not who we are, it is just the casing around which we are made to be alive. It is a temporary thing. The flesh will decay and it does go into the grave or wherever 
death may bring us after uh, we take our last breath, this body will be no more. The Bible talks about the body as it passes on from this life into the grave, that it goes to the grave, but the soul does not go into the grave. The soul is eternal and the soul continues to live. And Paul is saying that this body, this tent, is going to come to a place where it will be of no use for us any longer. That will be when we either are raptured or we die. Now, the Bible talks about the body going to sleep, not the soul. The soul does not sleep. And there are churches that teach this concept of soul sleep so that they believe that when we die, uh, we don't actually have a consciousness of that presence of the Lord. That is absolutely false. And I'll point that out as we move forward, why I believe that that is the case. But here Paul's saying we know that if our earthly body, this tent, this temporary dwelling place, is destroyed through death or through the rapture, we have a building from God. He's implying that this body will be changed into something other than what it now presently is. And so the question then remains, how do we know that and what is it going to be like for us? Well, Paul discussed that in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. And when we looked at that chapter, of course, that great chapter on the resurrection spoke about the fact that this mortal would put on immortality. We would all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And at the last trump, those things will take place, that we will be made into a new being that is fit for eternity. This body does not go into eternity. It is going to be completely changed. Uh, Paul talks about it with a Greek word that is translated metamorphosis. And you're familiar with the term metamorphosis if you are familiar with uh, the fact that a frog was once a tadpole and the tadpole metamorphosis took place and the tadpole became a frog. A butterfly was once a caterpillar and a metamorphosis took place when the caterpillar was converted from its existence as a caterpillar into a butterfly. And so that is the term that Paul is using here. There's a change that's going to be taking place. Now, in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, Paul said, we don't know what that will be exactly, but we do know some things that we have been given in the Word of God regarding our eternal state and the bodies that we will have in glory. And so Paul is saying it is no longer a tent, it's a permanent dwelling, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So this earthly tent is temporary, it decays, it is only going to last for a season, and then we'll be out of this body one way or the other, and then into a glorified body that will be eternal, a house eternal in the heavens. That's the promise of what Paul is saying. He says, we know this. We know it to be so. It is the firm faith of the believers all throughout the ages that God is going to save us and has saved us and is going to redeem us, has redeemed us, is going to sanctify us and is going to glorify us. And when we do come to that place, when we're fully redeemed and glorified, then we'll be 
the truth of the statement that is made by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 again. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Well, verse 2 of chapter 5 says this, For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our inhabitation which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. Now, that's an interesting statement because there is a lot of understanding that is somehow passed on through the years with regard to our state of being after we die. And again, one of those uh, errors is the error that is stated that we will be asleep. Our soul does not sleep. We have a consciousness after we die. It's an immediate consciousness. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, the one thief who turned to him and said, Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. Jesus' response to him was this. He said, today, truly, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, why would Jesus say that if it wasn't going to be a conscious awareness of the fact that he was indeed in the presence of the Lord in that glorious state as Jesus described it to him. Also, if you look in the book of Revelation, we see that there are tribulation saints that will die during the seven years of tribulation, having put their faith in Christ, and they will have been killed because of their faith in Christ, martyred. And they're going to be seen, according to John in the book of Revelation, in heaven at the throne of God. And they cry out to Jesus, how long, O Lord, before you take vengeance on those who have taken our lives? How long? They're speaking to Jesus in heaven. They're there. They're not sleeping. Also, if you look at Luke chapter 16, you see Jesus talking about a man whose name was Lazarus, who was a very poor man and who sat at the feet of a very evil, rich man, and they both died. And the Lord tells us in that story, and I believe it's likely to be a very true story, that Lazarus, the poor man, was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And it says that the rich man died and went into the depths of Sheol and was in torments. But in that place... There was communication between that rich man and Abraham. Now, Abraham had been dead by this time for about 2,000 years. So take note of the fact that there is conversation in those places that are beyond the grave. Jesus said it. John said it. Paul agreed with it. Remember, Paul had been stoned to death when he was in Lydia. It was many years before he wrote this letter to the Corinthian church. And he's going to talk about that particular event in a very uh, kind of a unfamiliar way. He doesn't associate himself with it, but he basically uh, writes it in such a fashion as to indicate that he is the one about whom he's speaking. And in that portion of that Second Corinthians letter that we will get to eventually, he talks about the fact that 14 years before, he knew a man, and again he's referring to himself, I believe, 
uh, whether in the body or out of the body, he could not tell, but he went into heaven, he ascended into heaven, and he heard things that were unspeakable. Now, Paul heard things. He was conscious. And whether or not he was in the body or out of the body, again, he didn't know. He wasn't certain. But it seems to be the most likely time was when he was stoned to death after he had come out of the city of, I said Lydia, but it's Lystra, and he was indeed stoned until they left him for dead. After they had left Paul, covered with the stones that they had thrown on his body, broken body, they went back into the city and Paul then stood up and went back into the city again. It must have been quite a fearful thing for them to see Paul return to begin again preaching the word of God in Lystra after having been stoned, they thought, to death. Well, it must have been that time, I believe, when Paul had this wonderful experience of entering into heaven. But again, there was consciousness. All of these things are very, very certain that there is a very strong belief, and it's a good one to maintain, that there is no sleeping in glory. As a matter of fact, we can go to a few other places, um, and I'll do that as we proceed uh, with this study tonight, that uh, gives us that very strong uh, certainty. But here, in this first few verses, Paul has been talking about the fact that we are groaning earnestly, desiring to be clothed with that wonderful habitation which is from heaven. Abraham also had a great expectation. He was a pilgrim in the land of Canaan. He didn't have any property in Canaan, but yet God had promised him that his descendants would be a multitude and they would inherit that land. And Abraham lived in tents all of that time. And he, according to the writer of Hebrews, was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. He was passing through. He was a pilgrim journeying in a land that would not be given directly to him, but the promise was to him and to his seed. And he believed that promise, something that was yet to happen, that would be taking place. And Abraham put his faith entirely in the promise of God. And that's what we should be doing also. We have faith in God's promises. And he has promised us that we have a building not made with hands, but eternal in the heavens. And that is going to be something that none of us can yet describe. Paul said, I don't really know how to describe what it'll be like. He only could say that when you put seed into the ground, it dies. And then after the seed dies, a plant comes up. It's completely different than the seed. It's from the seed, but it's not the same as the seed. And that's basically what he was trying to point out with regard to our resurrection bodies. Our resurrection bodies will not be exactly like these bodies. In appearance, they may very well be. We know that uh, Jesus um, was recognizable, although there were times when he concealed his identity. Remember when he came out of the tomb on that first morning. He met with Mary in the garden, and she supposed him to be the gardener. Now, it's quite possible that Mary didn't actually look up to him to confirm who it was that she was speaking to, but when he said to her, Oh, Mary, she realized it is Jesus. 
and she turned and she wrapped her arms around his feet and wept bitterly as as he was standing there and he said, Mary, don't keep on clinging to me. I've not yet ascended to my father. And he had things that he had to do and he couldn't do that if she kept on holding on to him. But that tells us that he had a body that could be handled. It could be touched. You could feel it. It was tangible. Actually, when later on, on the same day, he came into the room where they all were gathered, and except for Thomas, he appeared before them. Now, the Bible tells us when he did that, that the doors and windows were locked. How did he get in? He just simply appeared. So his glorified body is not limited like ours in that sense that we certainly couldn't walk through a wall, but he apparently could somehow do that. And yet he told his disciples, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bone as you see that I have. Remember, Jesus was saying, I have a body, a body with some flesh, some kind of physical, tangible body that you can touch. He told Thomas later on the next week, touch and see, put your hand in my my the holes in my hand and in my side. Touch me and see that it is I. He asked the disciples when he appeared to them on that first morning, do you have any fish? Let's eat. He could consume food. There were things that he was demonstrating in his appearances that convince us to believe somehow we will have that kind of body. Now, again, Philippians tells us that our vile bodies, these old tents, will indeed be changed into something like his glorified body. So we can assume that from what we saw with regard to the things that Jesus did after his resurrection, as it was recorded in the gospel records, that we too will be able to function in much the same way. And it is something that we need to remember that every one of us, who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, have this promise. That's why we know that we can all have the assurance that we are going to experience that kind of exchange of things that we now have, this body, this body with blood and bone and flesh, will be changed into a glorified body. Now, it's interesting that the Bible does say that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus, remember, again said to his disciples, a spirit does not have flesh and bone as you see that I have. Notice that he didn't say flesh and blood. He said flesh and bone because the blood had been drained. So it is apparent that we're not going to have a body that will be filled with the blood that is now filling our veins. There will be some kind of mechanism that will be making us to be able to live forever. But there will be no blood in our veins, apparently. That's the implication of the scripture. But Paul here says, In this we groan again in verse 2, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven, if indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. Now, I want to point out the fact that the other uh, 
perhaps uncertainty comes with a question when somebody dies, having believed in Christ, their soul goes to be with the Lord in heaven. That's where he is. That's where they will be. But if their bodies go into the grave and they don't receive their resurrection bodies until Christ comes for his church, then are they disembodied spirits? A lot of people believe that that is the case. I submit to you that that is not the case. And again, I refer to the tribulation saints who were being, had been martyred and were in heaven. And when they asked Jesus, how long before you take vengeance on us? He says, yet a little while. And he encourages them and gives them a robe of righteousness, a, a robe to cover them. And that is apparently what they have now in glory those who have gone on before us, a covering. And it is a glorious thing. It is His righteousness that covers us. And it is His righteousness that clothes us. Adam and Eve were in the garden in Eden before they sinned. And they didn't recognize that they were naked. I believe that they were clothed with righteousness. The righteousness of Christ. When God told them, you are going to die if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, they didn't die physically when they ate of that tree, did they? Adam continued to live, and he lived until he was 930 years old. But something did happen when Adam ate of that fruit. Adam indeed did die in his spirit. He was a triune being. Body, soul, and spirit. And the spirit was very much alive. And I believe Adam was more spirit-driven than blood-driven. I believe Adam was in a place where he had been clothed by the righteousness of God. And that righteousness of God was lost when he sinned. And I submit to you that since Adam, everyone who has come into the world, born as a man, as a woman have also only a part of what we once would have been had Adam not sinned. There's something that's missing in us. We're intended to be triune beings. And when we become born again, that regeneration that is performed by the Holy Spirit at the time of our rebirth is what Paul describes as a quickening. We are made alive when we are born again. In other words, our spirit is renewed and brought to life so that we now, as believers in Christ, are indeed at least partly fulfilling that which is necessary for us to once again be in the presence of God. Now, we can't enter into the presence of God yet because of sin. We're still in these mortal bodies and these mortal bodies are still stained with sin. But that's where the change will ultimately lead to a complete glorification process that will end either at death or at the time of our resurrection. When we are glorified, then we will be like him completely. And that righteousness of Christ 
will be what drives us, I believe, throughout eternity and makes us to be very much alive indeed. A habitation which is from heaven. Jesus said to his disciples before his death, I believe on the night of the the, uh, Passover, he told them, though they were very disturbed by the things that he had shared, he said, don't be alarmed at this. He said, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus was telling his disciples, and this is something that no Jew had ever heard before as far as their eternal life was concerned, with Christ, with God, in heaven. That was not their expectation. They expected to live on the earth. Jesus is saying, I'm going to prepare a place in my Father's house in heaven, and it is there that you will then dwell with me, and you will be in a place that he is building for you. Now, I believe that that's very much a real place that we will live in glory. Many people believe that what Jesus was referring to was not a place to live in, but the body that he was preparing for us. And it may very well be that. I won't dispute that, but I don't think Jesus was being... uh, less than straightforward with his disciples when he said, I'm preparing a place for you. The word that is in the Greek is tapos, and it means a, a place, a point of reference that you can touch and know that it is a piece of property. And that is going to be the promise that we have. But Paul also says that not only are we going to have a place to live, but our bodies themselves will be in a sense, a house in which our soul will live. And whether or not those two are identical, we'll have to wait and find out to be sure. I know that can be confusing, but I do know this. In all of what I've seen in the Word of God, we will not be disembodied spirits. We will have a clothing that will be covering our souls and we will be at home in whatever God provides for us. Now, the difficulty comes with regard to what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where he says when he comes for his church, he says that he's coming in the clouds with a shout and with his archangel and a trumpet blast. And at that time, he says he's coming with the saints who have gone on before us. They're there in heaven with him. Lee is there with him. And all of the saints who have gone on before her and who might go on after her before the rapture of the church, however many that may be, they will all be in glory with the Lord. When he returns, they will be with him. But it also says in that same passage that when he comes in the clouds with that shout and the voice of the archangel, the dead in Christ will rise first. Those who have been already dead are in heaven with him, but he says their bodies will be raised up. Somehow, there is a distinction that is made in the scriptures between the body that they have now and the body that 
ultimately will be there throughout eternity. Now, I don't know how to answer that. I believe that there is no doubt, or there should be no doubt, with regard to the fact that the promise is that they are not disembodied spirits, according to the Word of God, and yet they haven't been made complete yet in their resurrected body that ultimately will be forever. And I think perhaps it has to do with, again, the triune being that we are to be. They aren't complete yet, but they will be. They're closer than you and I because they're in the presence of the Lord. They're not yet complete. They won't be until the resurrection takes place. And when their bodies are out of the grave, and then after that we follow them, we will be changed. And again, Paul refers to that experience in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where he says, we will be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. And Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 18, we'll be caught up together with them, those who have died before us, and there we shall ever be with the Lord. Those are the things that we're promised. Our bodies will be indeed in glory with Him for all eternity. That's why he says in verse 4, For we who are in this tent groan. Again, he says that a second time. We groan, uh, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. So whether it's through death or through the rapture, uh, our bodies will be taken out of this state in which we now are. We won't be unclothed, he says, but further clothed. Much better than what we have now. Far beyond what we are experiencing in this present hour. That's the promise that we have to look forward to. That's why Paul said he groaned. He's hoping for that. In verse 8, of, or chapter 8, rather, of the book of Romans, he talked about the very creation. All of creation is groaning in anticipation for that redemption that will take place in that day. It'll be a remarkable thing that all of creation is waiting for. The angels are waiting to see the fulfillment of it. They don't have all the details, nor do we. But they're in the dark about it just as much as we are as far as the finality of it. But when it takes, takes place, we do know that we will be in glory, standing around the throne of God, and it will be a magnificent sight. John had beautiful uh, pictures that are drawn in the book of Revelation, that he gave in the Revelation that he had. And it's very much worth our while to read the book of Revelation to see the glorious things that will take place in those days as he saw them. Now it says in verse 5, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God. Take note of the fact that he has prepared us for this very thing, eternal life. It's a done deal. He has made it so. It is in the past tense. He has already prepared us for this. He says further, He's prepared us for this thing that we just described, this change in our existence, this new home that we are going to be dwelling in. He's prepared us for this very thing. And He has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. That's very, very important. In the uh, King James Version, that word guarantee translated here is a guarantee is translated earnest. And if you're familiar with the term earnest, it's a financial term, and it really basically is a down payment. 
So a guarantee or a down payment um, basically proves that he's absolutely certain that he's going to go through with the purchase. When you apply for a mortgage, you put earnest money on the table and you basically sign a contract with that earnest money as a guarantee that you are going to fulfill the obligations of that contract. And if you fail to go through with that, then the seller will get that earnest money. So it's a guarantee on the buyer's behalf that there is going to be a fulfillment of the contract that has been arranged for. That's the picture that Paul has given to us here. And also, I'd like to have you turn with me to Ephesians to see a little bit more clearly what Paul is saying with regard to this earnest in a contract that God has made. Because in Ephesians chapter 1, if you'll get there with me and read with me from verse 13 of chapter 1 of the great book of Ephesians, Paul says this, In him, Christ Jesus, you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Remember, that's a seal, like a signet ring that is put into wet wax to embed in that wax the seal of the owner. You are his property and he has sealed you with his Holy Spirit of promise. And then in verse 14 he says this, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. We are his purchased possession. And he has sealed us with the Spirit of God. He, the Spirit, is our guarantee, our earnest, our down payment, if you will. And he is guaranteeing that we will receive the inheritance that is promised to us as the children of God. That's what we're looking at here. It is a certainty. That's why Paul says, so matter-of-factly, we know these things to be true. And that is what we should be able to say as well. We know these things to be true. It is our blessed hope. It is that which we look forward to. It is the reason that we live for Christ daily and serve Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength in obedience to His commands to do His will and to glorify His name while we live. We should desire to re, you know, do all that we can to please Him because it pleases Him to do these things on our behalf. We walk by faith, He says. And not by sight in verse 7. But before we get there, look at what he says in verse 6. He says, we are always confident, always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. We're at home in this body. It's temporary. But while we're here, we're absent from the Lord. Now, Paul elsewhere talks about that as well. And he's wanting to be with the Lord. He says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And that is our attitude, or it should be our attitude as well. Turn with me to the Philippians letter. And in Philippians chapter 1, Paul does talk about this very thing again. This desire that he had to be with Christ. Not in sleep, but in a conscious awareness of his presence. 
That's why Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, For to me, and to you and I, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. It is gain indeed. But he goes on to say this, But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. Paul's torn between two realities. The reality that he has presently with the church that he wants to minister to them and to bring as many people as he is able to while he still has breath to the living Christ. It is his responsibility that he's taken upon himself to proclaim the good news and to talk to people like he met in Philippi to learn of him. To live in the flesh meant that he could serve them and to teach them more and more about the knowledge that he has received by the hand of God. And he did pass that knowledge on to them and to us through the written word. But he goes on to say in verse 23, For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Again, Paul is saying that when I die, I'm going to be with Christ. And it will be something that will be of great value to me. I will not be any longer in this mortal flesh. I will be changed. I will have a new body that is fit for eternity. One that will not suffer pain. One that will not have sickness. One that will never die. A body that will go on and on in His presence, glorified and be able to stand before the Holy God because we have been made righteousness in Christ Jesus. That's the confidence that we have. He says in verse 8, We are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. How much more certain can we be with regard to our destiny? How much more information do we need to know to be able to be convinced that we're just passing through and the glorious truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ will be indeed fulfilled in that day when he calls us home to be with himself, either through death or through the power of the resurrection at the rapture of the church. One or the other, God will indeed be seen by all who believe. That's the promise. That's why we should be able to say, as Paul said, we know these things to be so, with a certainty, with no doubt in our minds, that he has indeed prepared us for this very thing. So keep looking up, my friends. Your redemption draws near. God bless.